Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome back to the Leaving Eden Podcast. Welcome, welcome, welcome. We are your hosts, Sadie Carpenter, cult expert, cult survivor Sadie Carpenter is with is with you here today. My name is Gavi, Gavriel Hakoen. That is me. We are here today to talk to you about something very, very fundy-ish. Sadie, do you want to introduce our topic today? Absolutely. So today we are talking about pastor school which is the uh, former annual conference held at First Baptist Church of Hammond. It is a conference that I attended as a teenager, so we're going to be talking about the history of this conference, some of the wilder experiences that I had, um, one that's particularly traumatic and a lot more that are a lot less traumatic, uh, and talking about what that experience was like for me as a teenager attending this. Yeah, this is just really much, very much a, a a a look into the fundy subculture, and it's so fascinating for me when we get to do these episodes that are just so specifically deep dives into a a specific aspect of Hiles Anderson brand fundy. This is a thing that only a few thousand people in the world have ever experienced. 
and I am one of those people. On the other hand, this is something that was part of the fabric of my life growing up. And growing up, I couldn't imagine what it was like to not experience this thing. So that is, that is such a, a unique niche, and it's something that I really love to talk about whenever I get something that's in that niche come up as a topic for us. And the stories from pastor school, let me tell you, you guys are going to be... <laughs> I, I don't know. You, you guys are going to be shocked, so make sure you stay tuned. But before we get into that, the Leaving Eden podcast is the podcast about my BFF and co-host, cult expert, cult survivor, Sadie Carpenter's life in and escape from the independent fundamental Baptist cult, the cult in which she was raised. We talk about this cult. We talk about other cults. We talk about religion. We talk about fundamentalism. We talk about the real and present threat that cults and cult ideologies pose to society as a whole. And it is our goal to promote freedom of mind, freedom of thought and freedom of religion. So if you like our show, if you are a fan of our show, there are a few things that you can do to help us out. Number one, easiest thing you can do Hit that subscribe button, hit that follow button, and it'll make sure that you get that new episode right when it comes out on Monday morning. If you want to get our episodes a day early, you can subscribe to our Patreon. Plus, the Patreon version of the episodes that you get is extended, uncensored, and it's ad-free. Three wonderful things, and you get it a day early. You can join our Facebook group, which is facebook.com slash groups slash Exodus, where you can you know post memes, post stories, post articles, anything you want to post in there, as long as it is uh, uh, fundamentalism, deconstruction, religion related. Uh, we have nearly 3000 people in that group and there's some great conversations that go on there. You can also join our subreddit, which is reddit.com slash r slash Eden Exodus. Is there anything else I need to say before we thank our faith promise missions? And I gave it all to your patron, Sadie. I don't think so. Let's get into it. We have two I gave it all to your patrons. Your names are Kathleen Moncrief and Melissa Mosley. I don't know what to say, Kathleen and Melissa. You guys are fantastic. And we really do. We really do. We really, 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 really do love your support so much. And we do appreciate that so much. Thank you so much to Kathleen and Melissa. And our Faith Promise Missions to your patrons. Your names are Alex Todd, Alicia Guild, Allie Allen, Anisha Patel, Brittany, Brooke Tully, Krissa, Crystal Patterson, Dear Ethan Hansen, the musical, Eleanor Donahue, Emery Fairlosser, Hannah Ross, Hope Norum, Horton Hears a Shane. I'm just here to send Sadie True Crime Podcast suggestions, aka Meg, Janine Collin, Jen Kaharski, Jessica Tambo. Jonna, Kay Terwee, Kristen Marie, Lauren Vanderwall, Linda Morgan, Lindsay Goss, Lorena Watson, MC Crunchwrap, hashtag the boy who cried sauce, Michaela Upright, Madeline Antrim, Madeline Cusick, Marlena Stuve, Mary Williams, Mary Martin, Megan Arendt, Rob the Methodist, Sarah Reese. Scooby Sleuth, Stephanie Johnson, Susie, Tara McNamara, The Lady Rabbi, Tiffany Enderby, Walnut, Son of Walnut, and as always, Wes the Cowboy. Thank, thank you. you so much. Yeah, thank you so much to 
our Faith Promise Missions patrons, and I gave it all to your patrons. But thank you to everyone who supports us over on Patreon. Uh, we really appreciate the support that you give us month by month. It's true. It, it is very much true. Sadie, hit us with that TW, and then we will get <clears throat> into the episode. In general, we talk about a lot of potentially triggering topics on this show, including but not limited to suicide and mental health, racism, misogyny, PTSD, PTSD symptoms, child abuse, mental, physical, and sexual abuse, and spiritual abuse, including guilt, shame, and fear. In most episodes, we mention at least a few of these topics. We do try to avoid any graphic detail unless it's relevant to the story that we're telling. And if that detail is relevant to the story that we're telling and we're going to include it, we'll give you a heads up before we go into detail on any of those topics or other topics that we know can be triggering to other people. In this episode, we're discussing pastor school. So this is a First Baptist Church of Hammond specific episode. I am going to describe some of the buildings and talk about Jack Hiles a lot. Uh, we do have a clip of him. We will let you know before it comes up. I know we have a lot of First Baptist Church of Hammond survivors in particular who listen to our show. I know those things can get you. We're also talking about some of the most specific fundamentalist teachings and the people who teach them. Finally, we're talking about some very weird grooming behavior, sexual behavior perpetrated by a speaker at this pastor's at this pastor's conference that I experienced when I was a very young teenager. That may be unexpected. It happened. I had the misfortune of being there. Again, we'll let you know before we get there. All right. So, Sadie, you want to take us into the episode? Let's do it. Let's go. <laughs> so, th this episode has some heavy topics, but it's also got a lot of laughs and a lot of really neat exposition, I think, of, of fundy subculture. And we've had this one on our list for a while, too. Yeah, and I wanted to do it this week because traditionally March is when pastor school would be held, so it's very nostalgic for me. So, for people who are joining us more recently... Maybe for people who haven't yet gotten to the first Family of Fundamentalism episodes that we did way back in the very beginning of when we started the show, here's a very quick rundown. Jack Hiles, a young pastor from Texas, was called to pastor First Baptist Church of Hammond, a historical church in Hammond, Indiana, in the late 1950s. He grew the church quickly. They became an independent Baptist church under his leadership. And due to his success at First Baptist of Hammond, he became a figurehead of the growing independent fundamental Baptist movement throughout the 60s, 70s, and 80s. The church gained a ton of media attention. They were named the world's largest Sunday school, and that claim was repeated in Time magazine in 1975. According to Jack Hiles, so many pastors were writing to him and calling to him, asking for advice on building a successful church that he barely had time to do his pastoral duties at the church. So I know that we often treat claims made by Jack Hiles about his ministry with skepticism due to the fact that he is a known and habitual liar. Uh, see our Paul Sand episodes uh, uh, for more details on that. But I am personally inclined to believe that his claim that he had pastors writing to him asking how to grow their ministry um, um, I, I, I'm inclined to believe this, this story because of course, in this branch of evangelical Christianity and, and fundamentalism, it is a culture of bigger is always better. Correct. I would not doubt that maybe Hiles exaggerated 
how much of his time this these requests for help from other pastors took up. Because like you said, he was a habitual liar. And in my opinion, when he wasn't lying, he was exaggerating most of the time. But I absolutely believe that he had tons of pastors calling him. He had fame at that time outside of the IFB movement. Hiles was being mentioned in mainstream Christian press and even in non-Christian press like Time Magazine. It would make sense that pastors would read about him somewhere or other and call for advice. So I want to take a quick planned, what is it, rabbit, not rabbit trail, rabbit hole. Thank you, Jen. (laughs) (laughs) Because this question just came up in the Facebook group of how big was First Baptist Church of Hammond actually? So First Baptist Church of Hammond has declined a lot over the last five decades, four decades, starting with the allegations of Jack Hiles having an affair. Those allegations came out in the late 80s, and the church started to to decline from its former days. When Hiles died in 2001, there was another decline. And then um, when Jack Hiles' son-in-law, Jack Scop, who took over the pastorate after Hiles' death, went to jail for sex trafficking a minor in 2012, 2013, he was caught in 2012 and actually sentenced in 2013, there was another decline. But in those peak days before all of that, maybe between 1970 and 1990, really roughly, First Baptist Church of Hammond ran about 14,000 people each Sunday or even more, with up to about 5,000 of those people being bus kids. And under Hiles' leadership in early days, they had big days of up to 30,000 people at First Baptist Church of Hammond. It can be a bit tough to crack down on exact numbers when relating to this particular ministry. There is always a chance that things are inflated because no one, okay, so when you have a service where there are 7,000 people in one room, 3,000 people in another room, and then an additional, you know, four to 14,000 people in outbuildings and public parks and on buses and on other church-owned buildings on other campuses. There is not like one guy who goes through and counts all the people. There is a a team of people that count the, the people in the main auditorium by section. There's a team of people that count the people in the auxiliary auditoriums by section of the auditorium. And then there are individual workers who count the people in this particular bus kid service and the people on that particular bus kid service and the people on this particular outside campus and the people on this bus that couldn't fit into the overflow room and had church on the bus and the people in this public park that also attended on the same day. And any of those people can bump their numbers up a little bit to get recognition. It could be, or the church could, inflate their numbers, right? If the church had a goal of 20,000 people for a particular big day and they got to 19,950, I would not put it past them to lie and say they were at 20,050 because that's just the kind of people they are. I wouldn't blame them for rounding that one up. That's like, you know, closer. but it's almost like, okay, well, if everybody is counting a section of like a hundred people, but there's really like 85 people and all of those people rounded 85 up to like, you know, mm-hmm. and then that gets added up to, I don't know, 700 and 700 gets rounded up to 750, 800, you know, like. Right. And now you've got a 30% rounding error. 
or more, which is not okay. I can, what I can tell you is, I, so I cannot tell you how exact these numbers are. What I can tell you is what I have been present for and what I've seen with my own eyes. First Baptist Church of Hammond built a new building in 2005-2006. The official capacity of that new building is 7,500 people. So that is just Sunday morning church adults, not counting any bus kids, not counting bus workers, not counting nursery workers, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I have been in that auditorium for a youth conference when it was completely packed, every seat filled. So I have seen that room at capacity. I also attended First Baptist Church of Hammond for two years as a college student. Interestingly, I was there the full year before Jack Scott was caught committing a crime and arrested, and I was there the full year after. From fall 2011 to spring 2012, my first year before Jack Scott was arrested, I would say the auditorium was well-filled on a Sunday morning, although it was certainly not at capacity. I would estimate before his arrest, the Sunday morning service was maybe running between 5,000 and 6,000 people, depending on what week and the weather, and then another 2,000 to 3,000 members in the Spanish service in the old auditorium across the street, and then bus kids. So I don't think that twelve to 15,000 is a bad estimate for 2011 attendance. I found an article from churchrelevance.com that listed First Baptist Church of Hammond as the 19th largest church in the United States in the year 2011. Their attendance listed was 14,776 for an average. Yeah, see, I don't know how they fit 15,000 people in that building. Because, I mean, man, because I, I saw the building. I Granted, I didn't go inside it, so I don't know what it looks like inside. But, I mean, I, I can't help but think Jack Scott. It, it, I mean, it was about the size of like a high school gymnasium. Uh, it's it's maybe bigger than it looks. The Like the fire marshal capacity of the main auditorium is 7,500. That's how many individual seats there are. Okay, so that's the thing. I think that Jack Scott must have been paying off the fire marshal. Okay, so Jack Scott was paying off the fire marshal for Hiles Anderson, but they don't put <laughs> 15,000 people in that building that you took an unofficial tour of the outside of. Um, they put between 6,000 and 7.5,000 in that main building. Then there are 2,000 more people in the Spanish service, which is at the old auditorium, the uglier squarer brick building on the corner. And then there are dozens of outbuildings owned by the church within a few blocks of that main building. Most of those outbuildings were formerly department stores. So there's a lot of room on the ground floor of most of those buildings. So there would be like 500 mm. bus kids in one building and a thousand bus kids in the next building and then 500 in this other building and it adds up quick they never this is a church so big that there is never a time when everyone who is a member there or attends there is in the same room and it makes sense because hammond indiana is i mean it's, it's a place where real estate is cheap mm -hmm. you can I mean, you, I, I don't know how much like buying out an old abandoned department, like <clears throat> I, I'm sure if you're not familiar with the, with Hammond, Indiana, it's right, basically right next to Gary, Indiana. It's, uh, and it's the same similar sort of vibe uh, as, as Gary, Indiana. It's just, you know, there's a lot of businesses that have closed down. And so you could get real estate and, and 
put church buildings in there for not a lot of money. And you wouldn't necessarily know from visiting, but the church owns several blocks. I think when I was attending there, it was about 32 buildings that are all adjacent to each other, just down Sibley Street in that general area. So I wanted to get those numbers out there because people in the Facebook group were really curious about how big this church was, and they were a bit surprised by how big this church was. So back in the 60s, we're going back in time (laughs) again, Jack Hiles said that he had pastors calling him, writing him all the time. He didn't have time to give them all advice, and he wanted to help out of the goodness of his heart, because if he, if you just listened to his methods and did what he told you to do, you could have a giant mega church like he did, right? So he started pastor's school, a week-long conference in which he planned to teach all of these pastors from around the country exactly what he was doing to build such a successful church. So your dad was a, a Hiles Camp um, IFB pastor. So it would have been an absolute requirement that your family attended pastor school. But if you were just a regular IFB churchgoer and your parents weren't in the ministry, would you have been expected to go to pastor school? So pastor school, when it was started, was originally only for pastors. I believe it was started in the late 1960s. I wasn't able to nail down a year. Because when First Baptist Church of Hammond perceives themselves to have failed at something, they like to scrub the internet of that thing as best as they can, which is why it's very hard to find clips of Jack Scott preaching now, because the church took them all down. Convenient. So pastor school, when it started, though, it was originally only for pastors. And then over the years, as it became more popular, it expanded to include sessions for pastors' wives. And for other types of Christian ministry workers, like youth workers or church musicians or assistant pastors, and then eventually expanded to also include sessions for teenagers. So by the time I started attending in 2005, there were breakout sessions for like church musicians, youth pastors, assistant pastors, pastors' wives, teenagers, bus workers, Reformers Unanimous, um, the uh, rehab program that Josh Duggar went to so Jesus could fix him, which didn't work. Reformers unanimous. So what I would have been required to go to as a teenager was a youth conference and then also Ladies Spectacular with my mom in the fall, which we will do an episode on. (laughs) Oh boy. I went to pastor school though. That was optional. I went because I wanted to. It would have been a really bad look and opened my dad up to a lot of judgment if he didn't go. But the, the rest of our family tagged along because more or less because we wanted to. So it's basically just like a big IFB social gathering. It's like Comic Con, but for the fundies. Yes. I mean, they have vendors exactly like a con would. Uh, you get to like meet these people who are celebrities within this world. It's exactly Comic Con for the fundies. So Vision Forum might set up and, and, and like start selling costumes and swords Uh, out of their catalog, just like, you know, somebody would at (laughs) Comic-Con. I mean, absolutely. There were Christian toy vendors at pastor school, for sure. Really? Yeah, I'm trying to think, like, I'm trying to think of a list of what vendors I remember seeing. Uh, Definitely homeschool curriculums, lots of people selling homeschool curriculums, uh, people selling fancy Bibles where you get your name embossed on the cover, like, wait, oh, that's nice. Five minutes, get your name on the cover. I mean, I have mine. I didn't get it at pastor school, but I actually have two Bibles with my name on the cover. King like, James version only, of both course. King James, yeah, definitely within arm's reach. 
of me right now. This one I got from my first boyfriend at Hiles Anderson. That's fun. Uh, <laughs> I just haven't been able to ditch it. It was a nice gift. Also, people selling Jack Hiles' favorite brand of shoes. Uh, people selling suits, people selling dress shirts and ties, or like modest ladies' clothes. Uh, Bob and Joe Beth Hooker of Patreon fame always had a booth selling their anti-feminist manifestos, marriage books, and culotte patterns. That was a thing that they were known for. People selling different types of tracts that your church could buy and like have special printed with your church name on it to give out to people. Lots and lots of missionaries who wanted to set up a date to come to your church and present their ministry and try to get you to give them money. Lots of evangelists who wanted to come to your church and have you give them money. Uh, also tons and tons of self-published books, Christian sheet music. Yeah, I could go on and on, but that's the general idea of what pastor school vendors were like. <laughs> Man, no. So it is really. It's like a con. It's it's yeah. And like, man. if there's a missionary, so let's say you're a young IFB kid and you really feel like God is calling you to be a missionary to Estonia, and there's one IFB missionary to Estonia, and you just think that this missionary family is doing such a good job, and like they learned Estonian and you really want to know. I don't know what they speak in Estonia. I should look that up before I make an idiot out of myself. So you want to know how he learned Estonian and how he's been able to have such a successful ministry there. And you look up to this guy like a minor celebrity. Well, you can go to pastor school and go stand at his booth at pastor school Jesus Con and uh, talk to him about all of these things that you're really interested in. And there are minor fundy celebrities that you can meet this way. I actually think the vendors represent two key deconstruction stories for me as a pastor school attendee. Both of these happened Please. when I was between 13 and 16. I would not know what year either one was for reasons that I will explain later in the episode. It's sleep deprivation. That's the reason. <laughs> <laughs> so first story, uh, I One time I was walking through these vendor booths and I saw what looked like a $20 bill on the floor. I was so excited. I picked it up and it was a tract. Like, I'm sure most people know about these. Like, it looks like money, but it's it's Jesus information on the inside. Oh, these are the ones that they leave at tips uh, as tips at the diner after they go to church. Right. and. Instead of tipping their server. Right. Or they'll just drop them on the ground to like fool people into picking it up, which is supposed to be a good salvation strategy. I had this. <laughs> this was so sad to me, like as a kid, because I had limited money for this trip. I had to feed myself on whatever my parents could afford to give me for the week. And I was so devastated. I just remember the tears coming into my eyes and like flush my face flushing with frustration. And I look up from the floor and the man who is running the vendor booth and selling these tracts is pointing and laughing at me and like egging man. on his pastor friends who are standing with him at the booth to point and laugh at me, which seems very Christ-like of him. Man, that is like, and also like, why would you do that? Everyone there is already saved. They're just being mean. The only mean reason you would do right. it is to be mean on purpose. Right. Cause they knew you're, you're like, your family wasn't particularly well off. You know, the, the, I mean, $20, especially 15 years ago, that's a lot of money. 
Yeah, twenty dollars was a For fortune a to me as a young teen. Mm, man, so that was that was mean. They're just f-ing, like brutal, man. That's right. So the other Christian love, man. Mm-hmm. Yep. The other vendor story that was a really core deconstruction memory for me. I visited the booth of Majesty Music, which is the company that does Patch the Pirate. They also produce a lot of other IFB songs, IFB sheet music. I was so excited that I might get to meet Shelly Hamilton. Shelly is Ron Hamilton's wife. She is a composer, arranger. She did the voice of Sissy Siegel. Wonder fantabulous, Captain Patch! Um, she also did... <laughs> She was also a a pretty good piano arranger. She did piano hymn arrangements, and I had been playing her pieces for competitions, and I had been playing her pieces in church, and I was really excited to potentially get to meet Shelley Hamilton. So Shelley was not there when I visited their booth, but someone from their team who was there was just incredibly rude to me. I do know who this person was. I'm being purposely vague because all these years later, looking back on that interaction, that person was stressed out and sleep deprived, and they were in no state to be nice to a teenage fangirl. Like they had no, this person, they don't, they have no training. They have nobody to mentor them on how to be a minor Christian celebrity. They, like, should they have been nicer? Yes. Do I blame them? Uh, It's hard to blame them. I mean, it's it's like the equivalent of like who is the bass player from your favorite band, not like the lead singer, not like the guitar player. It's like the right or, or like one of their roadies, right? And like is, they don't know how to treat somebody who is just fangirling out, especially not with like the stress that their team is under, singing music for pastor school and being a part of this huge, excuse me, this huge conference. So I don't, you know, I'm not going to name and shame them, but it was a moment of seeing behind the mask and seeing that I had put anybody who worked for Majesty Music on a pedestal because they were approved and they were holy and they were godly music. And it was, it was a very uncomfortable moment to realize that these people that I was idolizing were just people. Well, were they were, like, how rude were they to like, were they just like dismissive or were they like actively not nice to you let me let me think about how i want to answer because i really do not want there are a lot of reasons i don't want to like name and shame this particular person so i came up and i'm like fangirling out like just i just want to you know i just want to thank you and the team for all the music that you make your music means a lot to me and i really love mrs hamilton's sheet music and i was wondering if there's any chance i might get to meet her and the person just kind of looks at me and goes no and then i'm still talking and they just walked away oh that's man and I was like, That's you know, I'm like 15. <laughs> but but how could I expect that person? I would like for them to have behaved differently. I would like to think that I would behave differently in their shoes. But how could I, you know, you know the, the stress that they were under and the sleep deprivation that they were under. It's not surprising that they were unable to react kindly in that situation. That's what I'm trying to say. But it was a real moment for me because I was expecting this person to behave a certain way just because they work for Majesty Music. Yeah. Because this is such a holy, you know, this is a godly company. This is an IFB company. This is 
you know, the this is one of the few music producers that if something came out by them, I was allowed to listen to it. I didn't have to go through and, and think about, is this approved or worry about if it's approved? Like they were that, they their reputation was that good. So we're going to talk about some more deconstruction moments, but th- those are the two related to the vendors. I would also like to add that when I have, pa- when I have nightmares about pastor school, it is always about the crowded hallways with vendors everywhere. Like, and I will occasionally, usually when I have nightmares about Jack Scop, he is chasing me through these crowded hallways full of vendors and nobody will, I'm like trying to get all of these pastor school attendees to stop and help me because there's a, a convicted felon chasing me and nobody will stop to help me. And that's the most common Scop nightmare that I have. That's a horrifying dream. You know, I haven't had one in a while. Uh, we are recording this one late at night, and I hope <laughs> hope I didn't just doom myself. Uh, but that one that one's been a while, thankfully. <laughs> oh, but when man. I have PTSD oh. nightmares, sometimes that's what they look like. Oh God! Fun time. I'm sorry. Other question about pastor school. Say you had a 16 year old daughter. And you wanted to possibly help her find a suitable future husband. Is pastor school the place where you're going to find such a man? Or is pastor school also a place where you might be able to possibly show her off? Definitely. So I'm assuming that you in this question is like if you're a pastor. Yes. Okay. If, if you're an attendee. Right. So you can bring your kids there. You could bring your daughter there, have her meet all of your pastor friends, um, because maybe they have sons that they're trying to get married off. This is a good place to to explain the IFB's views on arranged marriages. In the IFB, they don't arrange marriages. I don't want to over-dramatize this. Um, it's not that there has never been an arranged marriage in the IFB. There absolutely has. It is not common practice by any means. I would say less than 1%. Absolutely, and probably much less than that. They do set up marriages in a in a much less formal way than an arranged marriage. So let's say Pastor Smith has a son, Pastor Jones has a daughter around the same age. They are not going to draw up a contract and promise their children to each other. Uh, there's not going to be a dowry changing hands. What they are going to do is when their kids grow up, they're going to pressure the son and the daughter to attend the same Bible college, and then they're going to pressure their kids to go on a few dates to see if they like each other. There's there's the idea of a friendship alliance, but also a political alliance. Frankly, if, if Pastor Smith and Pastor Jones are both big name pastors and Pastor Smith is t- thinking about starting a Bible college, he wants... Pastor Jones' daughter to marry his son because then it would be beneficial to his Bible college because all of the people from Jones' church are going to want to go to Smith's Bible college because their former pastor's daughter is there and they'll have a connection. If they go to that Bible college, they'll at least know somebody there. So there's a, a financial and political motive to have these two kids get married if possible. It happens for IFB parents to say to their kids, you're going to marry this person. It's very, very uncommon. 
It is really common to say something like, well, the Lord is really laying it on my heart that you should go on a few dates with this girl and see where the Lord is leading you. And then they go on a few dates. They're not really sure about each other. And the parent might come back with, well, the Lord told me that you need to go on three more dates before you call it quits. So there, there is definitely pressure, but it is, in my opinion, different from a formalized arranged marriage. The other thing about pastor school is it's not required for teenagers. So it's something that only the most sold out fundamentalist kids would go to. So if you are looking for somebody who is ultra IFB to marry, <clears throat> you are definitely looking at pastor school teen services. And I guess also if you go to a small IFB church, other families there might not have many kids your age because you know the IFB is so insular. So this is also just like the big social event of the year. Yeah, I want to underscore that this is a huge event. I was just tagging along as a teenager, but even for the adults, this was one of the events of the whole year. My first year at pastor school, I believe it was 2005, there were thousands of attendees. It was probably the largest gathering of IFB preachers in the country at the time. Pastors were, were encouraged to bring anyone who worked for the church or anyone who volunteered for the church. And I would say our church delegation was probably 10 to 20 people on any given year. So this is like a high pressure event. You're under pressure to represent yourself and your church in the best way possible. Yeah, there's definitely a push to see how many people you could convince to come. Tickets to pastor school cost money, and people had to take time off work. If they were volunteers at the church who had regular jobs and didn't work directly for the church, they had to take time off to go to this. They had to pay for their hotel and food and travel expenses. But this was... So this was a big sacrifice even for pastors who did work for a church. It's still a big financial expense to go, but for volunteers who did not work for the church, it was a huge sacrifice to go. It was also an event for only the most Hiles IFB of all the Hiles IFB. And because of that sense of in-group exclusivity, it was kind of a place where the fundies would go to let their hair down and get wild. <laughs> So I, so I want to talk about oh God. some shenanigans <laughs> when I was attending pastor school in the 2000s. There's one story that's going to knock your red socks off, but I thought it would be fun first to cover some wild things that happened before I ever went to pastor school. Um, some of them happened well before I was even born. So I'm reminded also of when we talked about the big day in the spring program. Yeah, all of this is in the same era at First Baptist Church of Hammond. Can we start with an absolutely classic pastor school story? Oh, go for it. In 1978 at pastor school, Jack Hiles awarded John R. Rice's horse with an honorary doctorate from Hiles Anderson College. His horse? Yes, the horse was read a poem of honor and appreciation, and during the poem, the horse pooped on the stage. <laughs> What? Yep. That. That's the kind of thing that happens at pastor school. <laughs> so this is the only time that I'm aware of that a horse or any other non-human was given an honorary doctorate at pastor school. But the tradition of giving someone an honorary doctorate persisted even into my time. So usually most years there would be a keynote speaker for pastor school 
the guy who got to preach uh, at the evening service most nights. Traditionally, that guy, whoever he was, I think it was Paul Chapel or Jack Treber one year that I was there, it was David Gibbs one year that I was there. Traditionally, he would be showered with gifts on the last night of the conference. Traditionally, these gifts would include an honorary doctorate from Hiles Anderson. I remember Jack Scott giving, I think it was Treber that he gave a hand-built custom pulpit for his church in California. Giving guests new cars was also a very common occurrence. New cars! Uh, once when I was there, they, at least once, they took the doors completely off one entrance to the auditorium so they could actually drive a brand new car up onto the platform to gift to someone. Man, what? That was Tom Williams. He's coming back later. <laughs> So wait, so I, I want to go back to the horse story real quick. Why did they give a horse an honorary doctorate? Why did they give a horse an honorary doctorate from a Bible college? So it was, I mean, it was a joke. They gave him a doctorate of horse sense degree. My <laughs> guess is though, Hiles thought that that John R. Rice would get a kick out of it, and Hiles was just that big of a simp for John R. Rice. So when they gave the horse an honorary doctorate, did the horse have to give like a keynote speech. Not that I know of. Could the horse go around telling people to call him Dr. Horse like Kent Hovind? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I am so confused. This is... <laughs> this is this is like a very on-brand Hiles joke. And it's really interesting to hear you being confused because this makes total sense to me. Because I was raised with like this brand of humor. <laughs> I don't know. I guess knowing what I know about Hiles humor, I'm just glad that... that the joke wasn't in mean spirit. I just, I don't know. I think horses are beautiful and that they're majestic creatures. Um, and I'm glad that he wasn't mean to the horse. He was not mean to the horse. Everybody loved the horse. So, <laughs> so when this horse thing happened, this was at the, the Hammond civic center. There were literally so many people there for the conference that year that they couldn't have the conference at the church's main auditorium. So that's how many people were showing up for this. So this means that a lot of the weirdo moments of pastor school history happened at the Hammond Civic Center and other various convention centers, including some of Heil's most racist comments. Oh God. So I would like uh, to I would like to include a clip of this. This is just one of the most baffling things to me that Hiles ever said in public. TW for Jack Hiles voice, also racism. It's about a 15 second clip. You know how Mexicans wake up in the morning. He said, but I'm a Puerto Rican. I said, Puerto Rican ain't nothing but a secondhand Mexican. So, <coughs> he says, the morning I was running a race. I say, Brother Danny, where have you been? I've been in uh, Gus's guzzling place all night long. Ask your question. You think he's going to win a race? Why? Because he's got sin. So I say, Mr. Ortiz, you can't run a race today because you got sin in your life. Are you willing to ask God to forgive you? On your knees. <laughs> Dear God. Dear God. Forgive me. Forgive me. For my drinking. For my drinking. Am I going to Gus's guzzling place? Am I going to whatever? 
You know where you were. Amen. Amen. Hey, praise the Lord. He's forgiven. Gone, 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 gone. Yes, your sin is gone. So uh, thank you to the... Ooh, that was fun. <laughs> yeah, that the, uh, that was posted by Preacher Boys Podcast. Thank you, Eric. <laughs> thank you, Eric, for... Ugh, Preserving Jack Hyle's weird comments for all time on Boy, the internet. <laughs> Jack Hyle's everybody. So moving on from Jack Hyle's giving an honorary doctorate to a horse, it was also at pastor school where Jack Hyle's gave an honorary doctorate to someone who shocked the fundies way more than giving a doctorate to a horse. Did he give an honorary doctorate to the Loch Ness Monster for proving <laughs> Charles Darwin wrong? No, he did something that made the fundies way madder than that. He gave an honorary doctorate to a woman. A woman? Uh-huh. No way. Yep. Man. Who, I, I have to, like, who... Who like what woman did he give an honorary doctorate to? So this her is... her name is Gail Ripplinger. She is an author who is a huge, huge defender of the King James only position. She came out in 1993 with a book called New Age Bible Versions. And somewhere right in there, early to mid 90s, there was a pastor school that was focused on the topic of the Bible. Sidebar. This pastor school was also where First Baptist Church of Hammond had a member who had memorized, I think he was a professor at, at Hiles Anderson, scare quotes on professor, but God. he had memorized the entire Bible and- What? Yeah. And like stood up in front of pastor school and quoted the entire book of Revelation, which apparently sent some people into like a lot of spiritual hoopla- that's um, crazy. What? I mean, that's that's a talent. That's true. The book of Revelations is not short. I was making pretty good progress on the book of Proverbs when I was in high school, which is a, roughly the same length, but easier subject matter. God, what? Anyway, <clears throat> when they did this pastor school that was completely focused on the topic of the Bible, they also had... um church members volunteer they read the bible continuously throughout the conference so when everybody was in one room having the conference somebody else was standing in another room by themselves just reading the bible because they thought that this would bring some kind of like special god power to the conference which is not superstitious at all but gil ripplinger sorry when they did this whole conference that was focused on the king james bible Jack Hiles allowed Gail Ripplinger to speak at pastor school and talk about some material from her book related to scripture and Bible verses. To get the technicalities all the way right, she did not bring a sermon, but she presented just material from her book talking about why King James only. Are you here saying that Jack Hiles got his theology from a woman? Maybe just for a minute. And it, it did not go over great with the fundies, let me tell you. Rare dub for Jack Hiles. <laughs> so, um, so Hiles gave her a, an honorary doctorate and allowed her to speak from the pulpit, which is really like what he got in trouble for. Um, a lot of people said that if he had if he had set up like a separate lectern on the other side of the platform for her to speak from, it wouldn't have been such a big deal. 
she is also a pretty controversial figure because of some comments that she made referring to God as a co-author of her book. I read her comments. I think she meant to say that God led her to the correct conclusions and that God wanted to use her writing for good and use her book for good. With standard Christian stuff. A lot of people took her comments to mean that she thought her book was divinely inspired, which would obviously be not a cool thing to say in Christian circles, especially Fundy circles. I mean, that would put it on the level of the King James Bible. Right. And personally, I think people misinterpreted her and she just, she spoke funny. Not that it really matters at this point in time. And also, like, if it's a woman, then they can misinterpret her negatively on purpose if they want to. Yeah, that was going to be my next point. So, um, you know, people didn't like her speaking with authority on scripture, uh, even though she wasn't talking about interpretation at all, just simply translation and uh, matters of language. People did not like a woman speaking to them. So I think maybe they just found something to pick at her over. Yeah, I mean, you could also take what she said to mean that she says that God created everything and therefore he created the book. So Right, which I think is is more kind of along the lines of what she was saying. Anyway, Hiles took a lot of heat over this, and then later Jack Scobb had major beef with Gail Ripplinger over something that he said at pastor school. So this was a pastor school I was there for. I think it was 2008, and it was... 2007 or maybe 2008, Jack Scobb had released this book called Where Are We Going?, which was intended as a manual for modernizing the IFB just enough to be appealing to regular people. This was a weird situation. Scobb had published probably a dozen books by this point, and he was just handing out every session you would be given a copy of a book by Jack Scobb. Every session. Every Like, just about every session, whenever he would speak, he would give you a special printing of his book that he had had printed just for pastor school that was about whatever topic that he was talking about that day. So I went home with, like, 10 or 12 books by him and several more fundy books by other people who spoke at the conference, and I'm really sad that I threw them all away because that would have made great podcast material. One of these books that he handed out, though, was a new book that was first published at pastor school. And one little paragraph from this book started his entire King James-only controversy. Really? Yeah. This is when Scott said that the original texts were both inspired by God and preserved by God supernaturally, but that the King James Version that we read today was not verbally inspired, it was only preserved. So the King James is not inspired by God. The original texts are inspired by God. Rare win for Jack Scott. He is correct. (laughs) Even within like Fundy Universe, I think he's correct. This is what eventually caused a denominational three-way split, basically, with some IFBs supporting Jack Scott and then some breaking fellowship from him over it. This is also one of the main events that led to the formation of the NIFB. And then Scott later doubled down on these comments, took a lot of heat. This is what people hated him for before they hated him for committing a crime. He also got in some kind of internet war with Gail Ripplinger. I wasn't able to track down the full details. Apparently, he called her an adulteress over this. There was a whole fundy beef. What? There was a whole fundy beef over this. The ones that hate him hate Jack Scott more for this than they do for being a pedophile. Oh, yeah. Obviously. 
I, I bring up that story to illustrate how pastor school can kind of be a, a hotbed for controversy within the IFB movement. Everybody is there to fellowship and learn and have a good time and let their hair down amongst only the fundiest of fundies. But when you get the fundiest of fundies all in a room together, there's bound to be some fights. It was a hotspot for a lot of the allegations against Jack Hiles in the 1980s and 1990s. Again, if you want the full rundown, First Family of Fundamentalism series from fall 2020 has all of the details. But to make a long story short, Jack Hiles was credibly accused of having a decades-long affair with his secretary, possibly using church funds to bankroll this affair. Jack Hiles' son, Dave Hiles, was credibly accused of molesting several teenage girls from the youth group that he led, as well as carrying on extramarital affairs with age-appropriate consenting women, all of which Jack Hiles covered up by sending Dave to pastor a church in Texas. Dave got kicked out of that church for having at least 13 more affairs in the church in Texas. Then Dave came crawling back to Hammond without his former wife. Good for her. Fully respect that. Would love to have her on the podcast if she still wants to talk about it. And with his new girlfriend and her two children, he promptly published sexy photos of the new girlfriend in Kink and Swinger magazines in the Chicago area before the mysterious death of one of her two children. Did I get that all? Uh, I think the only part you missed was the part about him keeping uh, photographic evidence of all of his affairs in a briefcase, which was found by the child of the janitor. Right. That's how Dave Hiles got caught with the 13 presumably consensual affairs that he had in Texas. It's my personal opinion that Dave Hiles is a criminal. It's also my personal opinion that he is a dumb criminal. Ev- there's also significant evidence. The briefcase may have contained evidence of uh, actual photos. Crimes. Yeah, of, of actual of actual sex crimes uh, with people who were not of the age of consent. Right. With him. So, um, <clears throat> yeah, d- if, if you want to hear more about that, check out uh, First Family of Fundamentalism uh, Part 3. Uh, Hashtag arrest David Hiles. Hashtag arrest David Hiles. This man is a criminal. I don't know how he's not in jail. This man is is a, a, a true like psychopath. Yeah, these are our personal opinions. My personal yeah. opinion is Dave Hiles. Anyway, yeah. pastor school was kind of ground zero for Jack Hiles to defend himself and rebuild his reputation after all of that. I believe it was pastor school in 1990 when people were handing out flyers detailing some of Dave's indiscretions outside of pastor school. Yet again, badly embarrassing his father, Jack Hiles had to stand in the pulpit at that pastor school and ask attendees not to read the flyers being handed out about his son. Fortunately for Dave, he didn't have to be embarrassed by seeing these flyers. Because while he was technically present at pastor school, he was not participating in the activities because he was allegedly in a car out behind the church building having sex with a different First Baptist Church of Hammond staff member's wife. So this alleged sexual liaison, that that was uh, across the railroad tracks from First Baptist Church of Hammond. Yeah. Did you tour the railroad tracks while you were there? No, but I, I mean, I did get stuck behind like, like a, a trolley or a train or something when I was, uh, that was using them. I find it completely wild that he would have chosen to go on like the other side of those tracks, considering that the, like the tracks are like literally, they go like right by the church. Like it's like diagonal, like the, it, it goes yeah. like the church is a city block and then the tracks like cut across the 
intersection diagonally, like through a parking lot, like right. from like a train yard. It's it's impossible that nobody would have seen you doing this if you did it. So it was nighttime and the new building wasn't there. So the entire locus of operations for pastor school was an entire block further away. And there was an old department store on the corner where the new building is now. So that would a kind of blocked view. Uh, I will say that someone did see whatever he was doing in that car because there was a police report. And I have seen parts of this police report. I don't have a copy of the whole thing, despite multiple FOIA requests. <laughs> yeah, yeah, a couple of things about this. Number one, what is it with the fundies and car sex? Because... <laughs> uh, in, if you remember in our in our mystery of Paul Sand episode, the wife got caught in in this entirely fictional sermon illustration that Jack Kyle's made up to try and say basically, if you stop coming to church, you'll become a double murderer. Go back and listen to it if you haven't heard it. Uh, this it's from like twenty one March of twenty twenty one. But the, in in the the fictional story in that the wife got caught uh, in in the parking lot of a shopping center. Uh, uh, doing car sex with a high school football coach in our Patreon special for Valentine's day earlier this year. One of the, the fantasy sex tips that they gave was like, like make out in the car and pretend you're at a drive-in movie and like set up a fake drive-in movie in your, in your garage. And now we have Dave Hiles getting caught hooking up in a car. I feel like Taylor Tomlinson, comedian Taylor Tomlinson, said it best when she said that car sex is for children and criminals. And in the case of Dave Hiles, uh, chances are like... Oh, yikes. Um, <laughs> I should... Yeah, I'm sorry. I should not make that joke. But he is like legit a pedophile. He is... Yeah. No, know, fortunately, I guess I do know... Allegedly. Ugh. I don't even want to say allegedly because the person who has gone very publicly on record accusing him is Joy Evans writer. And like, I know her, my family knows her. Yeah. I guess I have to say allegedly because it hasn't been proven in court and I don't want to get sued. Uh, but I, you know, I believe, I believe victims, I believe women, and I certainly believe Joy. Fortunately, I do know who was in the car with Dave allegedly having car sex at that pastor school. I'm not going to say her name on this podcast, but I could. Um, oh, I know so much about this woman that I don't feel ethical about telling the world. God. Oh. Um, but this particular woman was his age, fully an adult, just making consensual, really bad decisions. For the life of me, I cannot understand the sex appeal of David Hiles. You know how on Seinfeld, there's a running gag where George Costanza, despite being short, bald, neurotic, shallow, unemployed, and having zero ambition, he's like constantly dating beautiful women? Yeah. That's how I feel about Dave Hiles. Like, this man is is such a trash human. I know. In um, every way, and he's not attractive. <clears throat> I've... I've never met him. I think it's the proximity to power, probably. So there were protesters protesting Dave. Uh, good for them. If anybody has a copy of this flyer, I've been trying to track one down for years. Would love to see that. But protesters at pastor school was not a one-time event by any means. There was actually a huge protest at pastor school one of the years that I attended. So I told you a few minutes ago the whole Jack Scop, inspiration versus pre preservation versus double inspiration thing. 
the people who believe that the King James Bible was verbally inspired got big mad. This is how the NIFB got started. So these people got costumes and flyers and all sorts of stuff. They set up camp right between the new auditorium and the old auditorium in the middle of a closed off street that thousands of people would need to cross multiple times a day. And they protested pastor school. At least one year, so which would have probably have been 2009, I feel like they may have done it two years in a row. I don't remember. I was a teenager and also a <clears throat> woman. So honest, so obviously I was told not to engage with the protesters because I, you know, have a puny little woman brain, which is not big enough for debating. All I remember is one person dressed up as the Easter bunny for reasons that I never <laughs> understood. I don't know why they were dressed <laughs> as the Easter bunny. I don't know. I don't know. I just remember seeing the Easter bunny there. I also remember these protesters getting into multiple physical fights with the pastor school's attendees. I told you, pastor school is where the fundies go to get wild. That was the whole thing. Is, <laughs> man, what? There were like brawls in the street between Scop supporters and Scop haters. Man, this so is... So basically, what I'm saying is that pastor school is like WrestleMania. It's where the biggest drama happens, where everybody is there in one place, where friendships are forged and rivalries are made, but for the fundies. <laughs> so I want to go take up the offering because when we get back, I want to talk more about my own experience as a teen attendee of pastor school because some of my experiences were pretty wild. Okay, let's go do it. You briefly lived in Florida. Briefly. <laughs> What's the craziest thing that, that ever happened to you when you were living in Florida? I was living on more or less a cult compound at the time. So my, <laughs> <laughs> my experience may be a little bit skewed. I will tell you my worst date of my life was in the state of Florida. Oh, no. Oh, yes. I'll have to tell you about that one sometime. But sometimes when I sit down to listen to a podcast... I just want to escape from everyday life and the memories of terrible dates and laugh a little bit. And that's why I want to tell you about the Florida Men on Florida Man podcast. This show leans in to the reputation of the state of Florida as the weirdest state in the nation. The hosts were born and raised in Florida, and they cover everything from small town mysteries, historical legends, and of course, the Florida Man headlines that everyone loves to make fun of. Have you listened to any of their episodes recently? Yeah, you know, I, I I think one of my favorite ones that I've listened to was probably the the cranberry sauce and the gobblers episode. That one was really funny. Um, <laughs> I don't I think just, I've heard that one, but it sounds amazing, and I'm going to go look it up right now. <laughs> yeah, or the houseboat detective. That one was also really good. Um, but I mean, the, the, it's 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 a funny show. You guys should check it out. I think it's funny. The um, thing I really like the most about it is that the hosts feel like they are really friends in real life. They have me convinced that they actually like each other and are always having a good time. Yeah, so if you're looking for a new podcast to have a parasocial relationship with the hosts of, I uh, <laughs> highly recommend. <laughs> uh, yeah, Florida Men on Florida Man is a great escape from everyday life. It's family-friendly, and you're definitely going to have a good time on every episode. Search Florida Men, plural, on Florida Man, singular, wherever you stream podcasts, new episodes every Wednesday in English and Spanish. 
I'm Nick Friedman. I'm Lee Alec Murray. And I'm Leah President. And this is Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect. We are a new show breaking down the anime news, views, and shows you care about each and every week. I can't think of a better studio to bring something like this to life. Yeah, I agree. We're covering all the classics. If I don't know a lot about Godzilla, which I do, but I'm trying to pretend that I don't right <laughs> Hold now. it in. Hold and our current faves. Luffy must have his due. <laughs> Tune in every week for the latest anime updates and possibly a few debates. Oof. I remember, what was that? <laughs> say what you're going to say and I'll circle back. You can listen to Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect every Friday wherever you get your podcasts. And watch full video episodes on Crunchyroll or the Crunchyroll YouTube channel. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, Sadie here. If this is your first time listening to the Leaving Eden podcast, make sure you go back and check out episode 57. It's a primer episode for new listeners. That episode tells my personal story and gives you all the terms and information that you'll need to know going forward. Also, check out our cult true crime series, The First Family of Fundamentalism, so that you can get the whole cult story. If you like our show, you can support us by joining our Patreon, where we have extended and uncensored episodes, as well as other bonus content available. You can also join in the discussion in our Facebook group, that group is called Eden Exodus. Tell a friend, tell a family member, tell your worst enemy. The Leaving Eden podcast is a fully independent podcast, and we really appreciate your support. Now, back to the show. We are back from our break. Sadie, you attended pastor school all throughout your youth. Do you want to give us a rundown of how it would usually go? Yeah, I think it would be a good idea to start with the schedule. Because that that's important. I think this is going to shock you maybe more than the day in the life episodes did. Okay, so there's even more sleep deprivation. Yeah, this is next level sleep deprivation. The rest of the year of sleep deprivation is like training for pastor school, which is the Olympics of sleep deprivation. So pastor school runs from a Monday night to a Thursday night so that nobody has to miss Sunday church. So if you're in close driving distance, you leave on Monday morning. If you're a little farther away, you fly in Monday morning, you might miss the Monday night service, but you get there for the Tuesday morning session. I grew up about five hours away from First Baptist Church of Hammond, maybe up to six or seven hours if the Chicago traffic was really bad. This drive up to pastor school is when my dad would always take me to some of his favorite restaurants in the Hammond area. A lot of them were places he went when he was a student at Hiles Anderson, Usually on the way up, we would go to this really quirky sit-down hamburger restaurant called Minor Dunn. So we would head up on a Monday morning. We'd get there early afternoon, get Minor Dunn hamburgers, check into our hotel, and get ready for the Monday night preaching service. So bear in mind, this is pastor school. Hammond, Indiana is not really a town that is well-prepared for thousands of conference attendees to descend on it. So sometimes if you really planned ahead, you could get a hotel that was closer to the church. 
a lot of times you would end up staying in a hotel like 45 minutes or an hour away from the actual church because everything would be booked. Also, when you leave your hotel to get to the conference, you have to deal with parking. First Baptist Church has a huge parking garage across the street. But if you're not early, you're going to end up parked on like the top floor and it is such a pain. Like, it's going to take you an hour to leave the parking garage. It's like trying to get out of the the parking garage by the Schnitzer downtown. If you're not on the bottom two levels, you're in trouble. Oh, God. Yeah, no, if you've ever parked in that parking no. garage, like, after a show at the Schnitz, you know. <laughs> you want to leave the hotel at, like, 5 or 5.30 p.m. If the Monday night service starts at 7 p.m. And that's kind of cutting it close. So you'll have Monday night preaching service. Maybe they'll go easy on you the first night and it's just like a bunch of songs and introducing the theme of pastor school and then they'll have one preacher. So you're out the door by like 930. You drive an hour back to your hotel. You can get to bed at a somewhat reasonable hour. Okay, so you're in bed by 11. That's not too bad. Well, you probably also need to eat because you left for the church before dinner time. So you get some fast food dinner, get some granola bars or something. You'll, you'll definitely be able to crash out by midnight. So it's not that bad. So Tuesday morning, though, you're up before it's light outside. You got to make sure that you do devotions really good so you don't look bad in front of whoever you're sharing a hotel room with. You have to get dressed in a shared hotel room with either people from your church or your family or whoever you're staying with. You get the continental breakfast at the hotel and you head over to the church for morning sessions. I should note that I'm having to piece all of this together from memory and I'm having to guess a lot because these schedules are hard to find online. I'm thinking the morning session start time maybe changed year by year. So some years it might have been 8 a.m. or some years it might have been 9 a.m. or 8.30 If we assume the middle ground, if the morning session starts at 8.30, you got to leave the hotel at 7 at the latest. So you got to get up at 5.30 at the latest because you got to do Bible reading. You got to get ready. You got to eat breakfast. I think based on my memory, I would have stayed with my family in a hotel room when I was on the younger end for pastor school teen conference, like 12, 13, 14 Later on, as an older teenager, there were more teenagers from my church who went to pastor school. So people from my youth group would all stay, would all share a hotel, like all the girls would share a room, all the boys would share a room, or we would stay with friends of my youth pastor in their houses, like people who were members of First Baptist Church of Hammond to save money on hotels. And once you get to the campus in the morning, You're going to be doing pastor school from the time you get there until you go to sleep that night. So the general session, the general schedule for the day would be like a morning service, songs, announcements, preacher, altar call, and then you'd split off into different sessions. So there would be breakout sessions for pastors, wives and youth leaders and music and teens and all of that. So on and so on. So would they all be at the same time or, or, and then you like pick one to go to, or it'd be like one after the other. All the different breakout sessions would be at the same time and they would publish the schedule and the speakers ahead of time. You wouldn't have to commit to just one track for breakout sessions So if you wanted to do the pastor's wives sessions on Tuesday and then the music ministry on Wednesday and then back to the pastor's wives on Thursday, 
you could do that. Okay, so would you go to the the teen session or would you go to like the the music session? I had the choice between those two. Some sessions were more open. So because I was doing so much church music at the time, I could have chosen to go to the music session. I was also doing a lot of bus work, so I could have gone to the bus workers sessions. Other sessions were more closed. As a teen, I don't think I could have walked into the pastor's wife session without somebody approaching me and saying, you're not old enough to be here, go to the teens. And I certainly couldn't have walked into a pastor-specific session because they would have kicked me right out. (laughs) Again, working off memory, I think some years the preaching service would go all the way up to lunch and then we'd have a lunch break and go to breakout sessions after lunch. Other years, the breakout sessions would start before lunch. So you'd do preaching service, the first breakout session, and then lunch, and then more breakout sessions. For anything teen-specific, we had to get bussed over to Hammond Baptist because all the teen sessions were were in the Hammond Baptist gym. So if you committed to the teen sessions, you were going to be stuck over there all day. You couldn't hop back and forth within the same day. And I really wanted to go to the teen sessions because they were the most fun. So that's where I would go. As far as the lunch break, there would be restaurants all over the First Baptist campus and different buildings where the breakout sessions were being held, which is kind of wild to me. They were all staffed by Hiles Anderson students. So the food quality was highly suspect. No shade intended to these poor students who were forced to volunteer but simply because they had very little training. So they wouldn't serve you like Hiles Anderson dining hall food. It would be real food. Yeah, kind of kind of real food. Um, this is such a highly specific, weird detail. This is what I mean when I talk about this being an immersive subcultural event. <laughs> I've been reading about Nordic LARPing lately, and the more I think about it, the more I, this is like a huge Nordic LARP. Um <laughs> So, they had actual themed restaurants. Most of them would be fast food style or cafeteria style, like hamburgers and fries and chicken sandwiches and pre-made salads and wrap sandwiches, like tortilla wrapped sandwiches, that kind of thing. The only time I ever broke my braces biting into food was biting into a pastor school chicken sandwich. Aren't you glad you know about that? How? But they what also, was, huh? What? Wait. What? What did? What is in a chicken sandwich for you to break your? I never found out. <laughs> <sighs> so they also had. I think they would have Mexican themed restaurants, and then they also, which were incredible, by the way, because they were stocked. They were staffed by people who attended the Spanish speaking church at First Baptist. So that was where the actual amazing quality food was. They also had an Italian-themed restaurant, so you could go get a big plate of like spaghetti, garlic bread, or pizza. Do you remember, bear with me, do you remember on King of the Hill, where Hank finds a new barbecue place that's really good, but it's all open seating at big, long tables, and he kind of hates it because you have to sit next to strangers to eat your barbecue? Yes. That's what pastor school dining is. Giant halls 
of long high school lunchroom type tables end to end dozens or hundreds of seats to a table just in all of the outbuildings and fellowship halls of First Baptist. The kind of thing where, so you just pick up your food at the counter and then you go find a seat in this huge hall of tables. This is how my family ended up having lunch or dinner, can't remember which, with Jack Scott's sister at pastor school. Okay, but this actually sounds like super fun. And if it weren't all about like at like a literal cult convention, this would actually be like something that I would want to go to. <laughs> so you hear yeah. me say all the time on this show, like this is something that I would love to go back and experience knowing what I know now, or this is something you could not pay me to experience again, no matter what. This is one of the things I would love to go back and, and do this again and just go undercover as a fundy. <laughs> This would also be more fun, by the way, if Hiles Anderson students were not forced to do extreme amounts of labor for this conference. So the people cooking the food, <clears throat> the people cleaning up after you when you're done eating, the people cleaning the buildings at night, the people cleaning the bathrooms for 5,000 people every day, the people driving the buses that bus you to the different breakout sessions, the people handing out Scop's books during sessions where he's teaching, the ushers, the musicians, and so many other roles were all filled by Hiles Anderson students, and they did not have a choice. I, I never experienced this the way I hear the stories told. If you were a Hiles Anderson student, you would just get an assignment in your mailbox a couple weeks before pastor school, and you'd have a supervisor, and you would just have to go work for them. And Hiles Anderson students, some people got sick and fainted and passed out every year, from what I hear, because they're working like 20 hours a day. Man. So that's another thing that would have made this more fun, other than not being a cult conference. Uh, less forced and coercive labor practices would have also helped. Okay, so we're getting off track. Morning preaching service, breakout sessions, lunch somewhere in there, break up, breakout sessions wrap up around 4 or 5 p.m., and then you'd have a dinner break, usually for about two hours, and then roll right into evening preaching service around 7 p.m. Evening preaching service would usually be songs, announcements, maybe a skit or a media presentation, like how I've talked about that f***ing It Is Well With My Soul video that got played a million times. You might also have some kind of dealio, like a missionary who had a really dramatic or horrible or amazing thing happen on the mission field, come to give a speech or a presentation. You also might have a presentation of a certain ministry at First Baptist Hammond, or Patch the Pirate would come out and do a few songs with the children's choir from First Baptist. A lot of it felt like it was intended to show off the sheer size of the First Baptist ministry. They'd bring out a kids choir, and the kids choir is bigger than the total membership of the churches of half the pastors there. So a lot of times it, it felt like it was a show of force or a brag. And then for evening service, you usually have two preachers. So that's two 45-minute, two-an-hour sermons. I don't know what time we would get out of evening service. I was sleep-deprived. I didn't have a cell phone, and I didn't really wear watches. <laughs> All I remember is just trying to stay awake during those sermons at night. 
they'd have to bring out the really bombastic preachers to try to keep everyone awake. So those night services were where you got to hear the big name favorites like Larry Brown or David Gibbs. As much as I dislike most of the things David Gibbs has done in his life, he's an incredibly funny speaker. Did you ever see, did I ever show you the video of Larry Brown smashing a TV with an axe on stage at pastor school? What, like Keith Moon? Yeah, exactly like that. Oh, man. Uh, I was there for that. (laughs) That was interesting. Was the TV plugged in when he did it? No. No, he just, he was preaching about how TV ruins marriages and ruins your walk with God and blah, 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 and you ought to smash your TV. And then he said, if your wife gets mad at you for smashing the TV, you should threaten her with the axe. Okay, I'm going to need to see a video of this. Can we can we put the video? I'm going to put the video of this up on our TikTok and and on our um on our Instagram. Oh yeah, by all means. <clears throat> that was truly fun. wild. Uh, I will say it kept me awake. So that's about it for a day at pastor school. You get out of preaching service whenever the altar call is done. Altar calls could go up to an hour to two hours. You get out of the parking garage, drive back to the hotel, crash with your clothes on if you're me. <laughs> usually my usually my deal was fall asleep in the car on the way to the hotel and then just pass out on a hotel bed with my clothes on and then do it again for two more days. So that's what, like six hours of sleep on the first night. And if you're lucky, you get, f- what, four hours the rest of the convention, four hours a night? Yeah, I, I might have gotten a smidge more than that because I could sleep in the car on the way to and from stuff. And I would also, I remember some pastor schools, I would get so tired that I would purposely pick a session to sit in the back and fall asleep on purpose because I just, I couldn't do it. I guess I should do my Estes Perkle voice. Does this shock you? <laughs> <laughs> what that you were sleeping through burning hell episode you're, you're sleeping you sleeping through your lessons and not being a good fundy kid does shock me oh dude i was so tired because <laughs> you're also like you're you're sitting through all these sermons on very little sleep but you're also walking a lot during the day If I could somehow magically go back and experience pastor school again, knowing everything I know now, one thing I would love to do is wear an Apple Watch and see how far I had to walk. So you'd have a morning service and then you get up and you walk around the vendor booths to try to wake up enough to go to the next thing. Or you have to walk over to the next building to try to buy some coffee to keep yourself awake in the next service. And then you have to walk to your breakout session or if you're a teen and you're getting bussed to HB, you got to walk to the bus to get bussed over to the breakout session. And then you have to walk over into this other building for lunch. So there's there's a lot. <laughs> it's a lot with very little rest. So the breakout sessions. Let's do it. Yeah. What kind of messaging are you getting at these? Is, is it useful or is it just like regular fundy? Oh, boy. So, breakout sessions were usually about how to do things exactly like Jack Hiles and First Baptist Church of Hammond. The whole messaging was, if you do things exactly the way that we do, God will bless you with the success that we have, which is such a terrible, toxic message 
because pastors will copy everything they do, not have the numbers that First Baptist Church of Hammond has. And it, it is such a frustrating feeling of what am I doing wrong and why is God not blessing me? I have access to a 2008 pastor school syllabus. So first I flipped through some of the outlines for breakout sessions that I did not attend. Uh, I have some outlines from the pastor's wives sessions. I'm not even going to read the information in this outline. I'm just going to read four titles. So number one, keeping your focus on a fun marriage. It's a fundy marriage. It's not going to be fun. Number two, Keeping your focus on respecting your husband. (laughs) Number three, submission. Kinky. And number four, self-control. Oh. I'll put some of this on the Instagram. It's it's really something. I'm afraid to even ask, man. This is... uh, Well, you put a picture of Andrew Tate on our Instagram, and I had to look at that. So this is going to get you back for that. It's true. He is a sad, ugly little man. I do not want to see his face. Um, I have an outline also from Pastor Charlie Clark from the Youth Workers Breakout Session about how to mentor teenage boys. His entire sermon was basically about making sure that teenage boys in your youth group have enough godly male role models and don't hear too much teaching from women. One point in this outline is quote, try to hire men as their school teachers. Do gender discrimination in employment practices to make sure that your high school boys turn out okay. Yeah. Uh, Another point reads, at camp, (laughs) have a split session and preach a raw meat men's sermon. What is a raw meat men's sermon? It means talking about topics that are too scandalous for the sensitive lady ears. Like what? Like most of what you remember, we talked to Eric, uh, Eric Skorzenski about this. He mostly said it, it. It's like, don't masturbate. That's most oh. of it. Um, Wait, Mr. Don't Clark, women need to hear that too. Huh? Or women don't even know that they can masturbate. They didn't. It, yeah. Women they, know, don't know that they can, or that it would do them any good. And a lot of them don't know that it's a thing at all. Cause somebody on this recording thought that when people looked at porn, they were just looking at it. (laughs) Didn't realize that there was, that there were actions commonly associated with that. Anyway, uh, Charlie Clark also recommends that (laughs) we're going to talk more about split sessions in a minute, unfortunately, but Clark also recommends that youth leaders teach their teen boys to quote, hate the sin of homosexuality and quote, and also quote, Teach them how to walk like a man, talk like a man, stand like a man, sit like a man, get their hair cut like a man. It it goes on there for a while. Like, a while. Um, So that's what was being taught to youth workers in the breakout session. The thing about split sessions, though, is that Charlie Clark was suggesting having them at teen camp, which is very typical. We once had a split session at pastor school, and this may be one of my wildest and worst fundy stories. This is the one that I feel like was worse for me personally than the polished shaft, honestly. Like this traumatized me far more than being present at the polished shaft sermon ever did. So I want to give an extensive TW for this section before I get too deep into it. 
This is a story about an old man saying sexual things in front of a crowd of women, including very young teenagers such as myself when I was 13. This upsets me, and you'll probably hear my voice sounding upset throughout this story. That is the extent of what happened here. He said things that were inappropriate and sexual. It does not go any further than that in this story. So this happened in 2006, making me 13. They sent all of the male attendees to one building and all of the female attendees to another building. Men were in the new auditorium. Women were in what's the Jack Hiles Memorial Auditorium, the old auditorium. And in the women's sessions, our speaker was Tom Williams. I don't know why it was a man and not a woman. I don't know why he wanted to stand up in front of a group of women. I mean, I feel like I know why he wanted to stand up in front of a group of women and say what he said. He was known for being the biggest expert on prayer in the IFB. He had this huge reputation for anything that he prays for, God gives him. He knows how to pray better than anybody else in the fundamentalist world. He knows everything there is to know about prayer. He is the closest to God of anybody I've ever met. But Tom Williams was not speaking on prayer this day in March of 2006. Uh, The only prayer that I recall was my prayer for the session to end so that I could get out and live through the next 10 years after that to get to therapy. Dear Lord. So the entire session was about different ways to please your husband, like basically how to keep your marriage spicy. And a lot of it was stuff that I had heard before that I was really steeped in growing up, like I was talking about with Jen last week. Like the usual IFB BS. Don't say no to your husband. Don't let him go more than 48 to 72 hours without sex. If he cheats on you, it's your fault for not being pretty enough or loving enough or respectful enough. Uh, Try losing weight. That's pretty much like IFB marriage advice. So it's like the same kind of stuff as in the hooker book. Yeah. Most of the speech that he gave, I think, was pretty in line with the hooker book, which does not make any sense in universe because the hooker book was strictly for people who were married or in that magical 90 degree, the magical 90 day period before marriage, right? Well, 90 days is both the length of time prior to marriage that it's okay to know about sex, and it's also the length of the warranty on a new dishwasher. Mm-hmm. So it is as God ordained it. That's a that's a godly amount of time. I've talked about this before. It's a whole IFB thing that you're, tr- you're supposed to know as little as possible about sex and sexuality before marriage. For some reason, I will never understand they did not make these sessions split by married people and unmarried people. They had all of the attendees in there, including me as a 13-year-old kid who was about to get traumatized. I tuned out as best as I could as this nearly 80-year-old man began launching into a list of fundy sex tips because I was so embarrassed I remember like popping my Bible open just anywhere and just trying to focus on the words, like putting my nose in the Bible and trying to focus on the words so I wouldn't have to hear him talk anymore. The story that I know he had a lot of tips, a lot of very specific sex tips. The one I can't get out of my head Mm -hmm. is the red socks story. 
So one of the hot sex tips that this nearly 80-year-old man decided to give to an audience of all women, including children, was the following. Go shopping, buy some new outfits, and tell your husband you want to do a fashion show for him when you get home. Show him all the nice stuff that you bought, model one outfit for him at a time, but when you come out with the last outfit, have the whole outfit be a pair of red socks, as in, that's all you're wearing. Uh... So, like... I totally understand how this could be something that a married IFB woman would say to a room full of married IFB women. That would make total sense why somebody would say that from like a married woman to a group of married women. In universe, it's really gross and inappropriate having that come from a man, especially in a face-to-face environment. Even in the IFB, this is like... Even in the IFB, this is not okay. It would have been okay in that culture for him to write a book and you to read it in a book. Although, as an IFB married woman, you should really not read a sex advice book from that is written by a man, not co-written with his wife, unless your husband is also reading the book along with you. Like, it would be fine if you read it and then gave it to your husband to read it, or it would be fine if, like, you read a chapter and then your husband read the same chapter and you passed it back and forth like that. In-universe, it would still be pretty inappropriate for a married woman to read a sex advice book by a married man who is not her husband, um, that's not co-written with his wife or anything. I do. It makes me a little bit angry that this was allowed to happen in an all-ages section, or an all-ages session. I was 13. I did not need to be hearing this. I was 13 and traumatized by modesty culture and terrified of my body. On top of how inappropriate it is to have this in an all-ages session and to be saying this to a teenager to begin with, especially a 13-year-old, I also did not need to be told that this would be an expectation of me when I was married. The, this, the whole thing is so wrong for me. So when you got out of the se- were people, I guess it's, it's the IFB. So there's not going to be like a women telling their husbands, you need to hear what they said in this session. It was inappropriate for that to be coming from a man. No one said that. And, and he said it in front of the, 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 the children too yeah like, you're not allowed you can't you can't lift up your voice against god's anointed <sighs> and he and right because he's the guy who's like amazing at prayer or whatever so right you know, like he's, he's clearly anointed by god so you can't say anything negative about him you could you know it depends on how how sold out to the IFB your husband is. I'm sure there are plenty of women who had a little bit more leeway in their marriages who went home and gave their husbands an earful about how they're never listening to that nasty man talk again. I'm sure there were mothers who were upset that this was said to their children. There was no opportunity for somebody to stand up and leave or stand up and call him out from the floor. We were all just kind of stuck there listening. And was uh, everyone else like just as uncomfortable as you were? The vibe, you know, I was a kid who was just trying to not pay attention and get out. The vibe that I got was kind of like, oh, that was way too far. He's kind of a batty old man. Like, oh, he might be losing it a little bit. Man. But it wasn't like, 
I don't I don't know what to think of this because my my current mind no who <laughs> that watches a lot of SVU knows exactly what I think of this, which I think is clear. Like this feels like non-consensual exhibitionism. The power dynamics make it feel that way. On the other hand, the majority of the audience was adult married women, which in universe would make it a lot closer to being acceptable. I've wondered through the years a lot if he knew that there were teenagers in the audience, because that's what I think would be the dividing line between in-universe, oh, that crossed a line, and and in-universe, this was not okay. The, the thing is, the announcement was so clear. Like, when they put us in the split session, it was all the women go here, all the men go here. There is, everybody would know that there were teen sessions at pastor school. You could have heard the announcement being made and know that they were not sending the teens off somewhere else. It it strikes me like that uh, that it would have been very hard for him not to know that there were teens in there. And he could have just looked out in the audience and seen, okay, well, like, who's out there? I mean, he was really old. I don't think he could have seen anybody in the audience. Man. I mean, th- this is still extremely creepy. Uh, man. It's <sighs> creepy. And, like, I don't know how to draw a conclusion on it because I don't know. Because if he didn't know there were teens in there... To me, it's a much smaller crime. <laughs> Not literal crime, but, you know, um, what is the word? Uh, transgression. Transgression. Thank you. I don't know. I still think they should lock him up in a cell with with uh, David Hiles. That's uh, <sighs> this. It is hella creepy. This is. Yeah. Man, and I like, cool. I have, this is one of the things that kind of haunts me because I have no way of knowing if this man was purposely being incredibly inappropriate with young teenagers, or if that part was a total accident and he would feel terrible about it if he knew. Because this is someone that I've spent time with personally. Tom Williams is a is a preacher that I have spent time with outside of a church setting. This is a person that I've, I've eaten meals with. It is something I can't get closure on because I can never know who he thought he was speaking to. Obviously, I don't know what was said over in the men's sessions. I have a feeling it was similarly traumatic because there was one boy in our group who's... I I saw him walking out of the men's sessions looking very disturbed, and then his dad ushered him outside, presumably to explain some things. Ooh. Yeah. Uh... I I don't know who spoke over in the men's section. I don't know what was said. I have a feeling it was similar. So we asked, uh, I think, because when we had Eric Skwarzynski from a Preacher Boys podcast on the show, we asked him about what they would tell them in the boys session. And when he was growing up, granted, he grew up in California. This is like a, a different section of the IFB. But he said that it was a lot of just like, don't masturbate. So... I don't know if it, it would have been the same at First Baptist Church of Hammond or whatever. Anyway, um, if you attended the boys' session at pastor school, the, the men's session at pastor school, please let us know what was actually said in the session. You can email us at leavingedenpod at gmail.com. I'm anxious to find out. 
Yeah, and if if you uh if you still got a little bit of that fundy in you and you're not comfortable talking about these things with me, you can put for Gabi only in the subject line if you don't want me to read it directly from you, and then he can just tell me if that would make you more comfortable. I know this is this is a pretty uncomfortable co- topic for some of us ex-fundies. I would just <sighs> and well if well and you know we'll make sure that we keep it anonymous. Yeah, if, yeah, if and we won't we won't read it on the podcast head. without getting your verbal like written consent or anything like that. I just want to know. <laughs> when you said verbal, I was thinking that you were going to say verbal inspiration, but <laughs> plenary verbal inspiration. Um, so I would think that the men's section, the men's sessions were like just like don't masturbate, but the women's session was very geared toward married women and pleasing your spouse. So I don't think, so I think the men's session may have been geared towards married men, which would be a different message. I almost wonder if there was more to it than that. I mean, what are they going to be telling married men then? Like you're doing great. Make sure you just keep on like not doing anything around the house (laughs) to help your wife out. Um, Enjoy sex every uh, 48 to 72 hours for the rest of your life. I don't know. I saw teenagers walking out traumatized, so I don't know what they said, but I don't think it would be the same thing that they say in every boys' split session ever. So in in slightly less traumatic topics, I can tell you about teen sessions. I would say there were maybe 400 teenagers there on a low year, more like six or 700 on a high year, maybe. Um, so we would our sessions would be in the Hammond Baptist gym, and we would just have... All of our sessions were just were just sermons, uh, and it was always about purity, of course. It was a good opportunity. The reason I really liked these teen sessions was that I got to hear the most engaging teen speakers, like the biggest names, the guys that usually headline youth conference in a smaller environment. Youth conference I'm, is huge. Not anymore, but when I was a teen at youth conference, one year we had 10,000 attendees. So you would get to see these guys like from the balcony of a huge auditorium. Pastor school was a really cool opportunity to hear the same preachers in a crowd of a couple hundred people rather than a crowd of thousands of people. At youth conference, you didn't get to sit in the front row unless you were from a big name church, because that's who they would give this the assigned seating in the front row. At pastor school, if you got there early enough for the teen sessions, you could sit up in the second row. You could be close to these these preachers that you really thought were hot. It was it was like when I got to see Guns N' Roses at an amphitheater amphitheater that seats four thousand people instead of a stadium that seats forty thousand. It's that same concept. So there were also more engaging, fun, bus song type songs between the preachers. There would be games. So that was really fun. There'd be little competitions and they'd give out like a Dr. Pepper for the prize. Um, My best memories of pastor school were being over at Baptist City for the teen sessions. And you had a lot of freedom over there because these are the fundiest of the fundiest kids so, yeah, there's a few like First Baptist Hammond youth pastors and Hiles Anderson seniors generally around the building to make sure we didn't burn the building down, basically hall monitors. There was so little supervision between sessions. So I had a freedom there that wasn't 
something I had a lot of other times during the year. Uh, just hanging out with my pastor school friends and stocking up on as much atomic fireball candy and Mountain Dew as I could fit in my pockets to help keep me awake during sessions. So these friends, I mean, this is like the fun, the equivalent of hanging out with your camp friends. Yeah. Like, because, you, you know, I mean, if you went to summer camp, then you have friends from not your hometown that you only get to see once or twice a year. And this is like that. Yeah. And these pastor school, the kids that were at pastor school would be back for youth conference in the summer, but it would be really hard to link up with them because there's so many more people there. It's a lot easier to find your friend in a room of 400 people than a room of 4,000 people. The sermon I remember best from pastor school teen sessions, I have no idea what, what year it was. I remember that Jack Scop would usually try to make it over to do one sermon for the teens, which at the time was really cool in retrospect, kind of creepy. The one I remember best, his illustration was apples. He took, it was a purity sermon, like everything else. He took uh. one apple that was nice and shining and new, and then another one just like it. And he smashed one of the apples on the pulpit and just beat it up and... It's an illustration about purity, right? Like, nobody wants the apple that's all beat up. People want the new shiny one, and your future spouse wants you to be a virgin. Again, creepy in retrospect, coming from Jack Scop. I think what stood out to me at the time was how violently he smashed the apple on the pulpit. I still uh. remember the visual image of him just... <sighs> I can't... I thought he was going to break the pulpit. There was just apple juice and apple chunks flying across the room as he like violently slammed this apple against the pulpit. It was really something to see. I mean, if that's what sex is supposed to be like, he's doing it wrong. Clearly, that's not the only thing about sex that he's doing wrong. Hence why he went to prison for almost 10 years. Yeah, I was gonna. I was gonna say he notably did a few things wrong. He did um, many things wrong. No, a sex trafficker and pedophile, Jack Scott, and adulterer. Got, Don't forget adulterer. He adulterer. also up his wife for no good reason. She's a nice lady. Adultery isn't against the law. Sex trafficking and and pedophilia are felonies. And I feel like the adultery belongs at the bottom of that list of things that he did wrong. It's obviously not the worst thing that he did, but it belongs on the list of bad things that he did because that's a bad thing to do. He also wrote a mental health book in which he compared suicide to basketball players wearing tracksuits over their uniforms. Yeah, he wasn't the best with metaphors. Yeah, it, go go back and uh, uh, listen to, if you're new to this show, listen to our episode where with... Uh, Dr. Shoshana Fagan, where we have uh, where we review the healing for the inner hurt, which is a mental health book written by a convicted pedophile. It's a terrible book. Um, also, like his metaphor isn't even true because smashed up apples is how they make applesauce, and everybody likes applesauce. Chuck loves applesauce. See, your baby loves applesauce. Your daughter loves applesauce. Applesauce is a great uh, underrated topping, like uh, as a condiment. Um, you ever dip French fries in applesauce? Oh yeah, I've dipped French fries in just about anything that you can dip French fries in. Low key, better than ketchup. 
You ever have applesauce on a burger? Excellent. Highly recommend it. I think that's it as far as pastor school schedule and experiences. So you do that for three and a half days. It It's pretty grueling and it leads up to the Thursday night service, which is cry night. Usually the Thursday night service is also where the ceremonial stuff goes In my dad's day, they did this presentation called Church with a Heart, where they would present all the different ministries of First Baptist Church of Hammond, which is how my dad ended up making the movie of the same name, Church with a Heart, which is on YouTube, by the way, (laughs) if you want to watch it. Um, By the time I was attending, sometimes they would have a big missions presentation. This is also where they would usually give someone an honorary doctorate from Hiles Anderson, the year that Tom Williams was there was when that was the year that I remember them getting him a car. It was a big SUV or a big van. I remember they had to take several rows of pews out from one side and take the doors completely off one entrance to drive it all the way into the auditorium. I'm sure I probably saw more than one car given away. That's the one I remember. Do you remember what kind of car it was? I don't remember... It was something specific that he wanted for ministry purposes. I don't know if it was like a 15-passenger van to bring people to church or or a vehicle that was more accessible for him because he was getting old. I remember it was a specific thing for a specific purpose, and it was a big vehicle. I remember it was white. That's all I remember. (laughs) So it wasn't just like, oh, we're getting you a, like, have have a Cadillac, you know, like... Oh, they did that. Just not, that's just not for him. And I can't remember if I specifically ever saw it. They absolutely got people Cadillacs. <laughs> um, that is so, like, it's almost like a game show. Yes. Like, that's exactly what it felt like. Uh, and when they gave, I, I can't remember if it was Paul Chapel or Jack Treber. I'm pretty sure it was Treber. When they gave the guy the custom hand-built pulpit, I'm talking like a $50,000 pulpit. Well, if it's hand-built. Hand-built by, like, former Amish people who are now members of First Baptist, I think. I mean, that's not, like, a, a any, any small thing. You know, that's, like, if, if it's if it's well-crafted, that's a a high-quality piece of, of, not, like, furniture, but it's, it like, I mean, it's, like, furniture for your church. Yeah. And it was huge. That's- if you've ever seen a picture of Jack Scott preaching from the pulpit, his pulpit was huge. It was broad and tall and thick pillars like well it was a large thing so you'd have all this honoring people stuff you'd have things that were intended to be tear jerky like certain songs um certain missions presentations things that were supposed to prime you emotionally for the last sermon the current pastor of first baptist which in my time was jack scop would always preach the final sermon And you'd have an altar call that went on what seemed like forever, like hours and hours. And then when everybody was all done crying, uh, we'd all sing the Hallelujah Chorus together. And that was what closed out pastor school. A bunch of sleep-deprived, cried-out fundies singing the Hallelujah Chorus is not necessarily my favorite sound. Did they rehearse it beforehand, or was it just like... No, not really. Uh. I, it is, it has been so hard to outline this episode because my memory is so fuzzy because of the sleep deprivation. (laughs) Uh, I think 
perhaps we did like one run through per night on the previous nights. So like we'd rehearse it once on Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night, and then the real thing would be Thursday night. It really would have been fine if everybody could read music, but most people don't. Yeah. So what? So everyone's just singing the melody and then they don't know the parts where it goes for the Lord God omnipotent reign because it like changes. And ever. Hallelujah. Yeah. That part. Yeah. Like, and like Handel's Messiah is a difficult piece of music. I've sung Handel's Messiah. Hallelujah chorus isn't something that you can just like pull out of the bag without practicing it. The fundies. Yeah. Yeah, and the fundies weirdly love the Hallelujah Chorus. You would think they would think it was Catholic or something, but they don't. No, it's not because it, the Hallelujah Chorus is from after um, England was was because uh, it was written by George Frederick Handel, but it was written in I think the 1700s. So it was after the 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 the, the split uh, in yeah. the church. I've had to perform this song so many times in so many different scenarios that I know all the parts and it's kind of lost its mystique for me. I can't really enjoy it as a song anymore. That's a bummer. But it was it was exactly what you said. Like when it gets into the part where the different parts split out and everybody's doing something different, people didn't really know what to do and it would kind of fall apart and then come back together for the ending and it would be okay. I yeah, I I'm totally with you because it is a beautiful piece of music. It's so well known. It's like half-assing the last movement of Beethoven's Ninth, which is one of my favorite pieces, and I love it. <laughs> it's to me, it's like you you know at the beginning of COVID when they had all the celebrities come out and make a video of them all singing "Imagine" by John Lennon in their giant mansions. Yes, <laughs> that's how I feel when somebody like takes a really iconic piece of music and then just does a job of it. I'm just like, really, you're like. So, as distracting as a very bad rendition of the Hallelujah Chorus is, that final moment of pastor school is such a unique feeling. If you can kind of put yourself in my shoes and my experience, you're exhausted, hungry, you've been in church for four or more hours, and also all day, but four or more hours without a break. You're sleep-deprived, far away from home. You've heard probably 20 hours or more of emotionally manipulative preaching over the past three and a half days. You've been brought to tears by videos of little kids on the mission field as somebody sings in the voiceover telling you they're falling into a burning hell. You've prayed and you've cried and you've had this corporate emotional experience. And now you're part of a 5,000 person choir singing the Hallelujah Chorus that part of pastor school is not a moment that I would want to revisit out of nostalgia, but I do, I want to convey that it is an emotionally powerful experience. Yeah, I can see why you're not a fan of the song now. You know, I feel like I've done a really good job of explaining the mechanics of what makes a pastor school happen and what you do while you're there. And I think I'm realizing that the emotions of it are not as easy to explain. Yeah, it's I mean it it does it feels so like tangled up with good stuff and bad stuff, like enjoyable things and just extreme stress and extreme anxiety. But Yeah. Yeah. Um I'm really excited to hear from people who have attended a pastor school in the Facebook group. I know that there are people in there who went to even some of the same ones that I did. 
So I'm excited to hear what, what people think and if you think I did a good job of explaining it and what I missed and what it was like for you. And also, like, you, you were sleep-deprived so much that their perceptions may have been wildly different from yours. <laughs> yes, and, anything that I yeah. got wrong, I promise I did my best. <laughs> uh, I was very tired and hopped up on a lot of caffeine. So, by way of epilogue, I think I must have attended the last pastor school. It, so, I attended in spring 2011. In fall 2011, Scop announced that they were going to rebrand Pastor School as a Bible conference and do it every two years. So spring 2012 would have been the off year, and then spring 2013 would have been the new, the first year of the new bi-yearly Bible conference. Of course, before spring 2013 came around, which would have been the first one, Scop had been arrested and John Wilkerson had just become pastor, and he canceled the whole thing. As much as I have to say about John Wilkerson, I do not like him very much from an IFB perspective. I like him even less from a non-IFB perspective. I would give him like a 5 out of 10 from an IFB perspective, maybe 6 out of 10. From a non-IFB perspective, he's like a 2.5 out of 10 at best. But I don't hate everything about him. The way I feel about him is not remotely the way I feel about Dave Hiles or Steven Anderson or Jack Scopp. One of the things that I do like about him, and I think he's made some very smart decisions, is he is not about those vulgar displays of power that First Baptist used to put on. He is not interested in trotting out all of these different ministries and telling thousands of pastors from around the country that if they will just do what he does, they will have the success that he has and showing off the wealth and power and numbers of First Baptist Church of Hammond. Then again, First Baptist Church of Hammond really doesn't have the wealth, the power, or the numbers anymore. They don't they don't have the manpower, the person power, to put on the kind of show and event that they used to at pastor school. All of that being said, I will give him credit because I think not having pastor school is a smart decision on his part. From every from every perspective, not having it is the right thing to do. In a few weeks, March 21 to 20, 21st to 23rd, 2023, First Baptist of Hammond is finally reintroducing a pared-down, lower-key version of pastor school. They are calling it the Servants Conference, and uh, <laughs> they seem pretty desperate for people to sign up for it. I pulled this quote from the First Baptist website yesterday, quote, this conference is not just for pastors. We would really like church staff, laymen, ladies, and teens to make plans to attend. We would like God to call servants of Christ to be greater bus workers, Sunday school teachers, disciplers, and soul winners. Uh, the end of quote there. The branding for the service co servants conference <laughs> is <laughs> striking me very much as, please show up for this so we can pay the light bill for having the lights on for a whole week. Please come. <laughs> Man, there's nothing so sweet as as looking at at First Baptist Church of Hammond and looking at their they're just like they've been in desperation mode for a number of years. You ever leave a pumpkin on your porch after Halloween? <sighs> and for a while the outside will look pretty good, but don't take that lid off because the inside is gross. And as time goes on, you start to smell it. The outside still maybe looks like it's got structural integrity, but you start to smell it a little bit. And then 
you get into like November and your spouse or partner <laughs> kid is like, you really should throw that pumpkin away. It's getting gross. And you're like, yeah, I'll get to it on the weekend. And then you never get to it. And eventually it kind of just withers and collapses in on itself. That's what I think we're seeing with First Baptist Church of Hammond. It's been rotten on the inside for a very long time. And we are now starting to see the loss of structural integrity as the whole thing kind of falls in on itself. Yeah, these things can look okay for quite a while after <laughs> after things are going very badly out of sight. Oh, so that's so pastor that's, school. That's pastor yeah. school. I'm just waiting for people to let me know what their pastor school experience was like, especially in the Facebook group. Very excited to hear our audience's thoughts. Um, waiting for some brave male or assigned male at birth soul who was present in the men's split session of 2006 <laughs> to God. tell me what happened or just tell again if you're not comfortable with that just email it with Gavi only in the subject line and I promise I won't read it and he will sum it up for me uh, <laughs> I am I'm so excited to hear the the feedback on this one especially from other people who attended. Yeah. Uh, thank you guys so much for tuning into our show. Uh, what do we have coming out next week, Sadie? Next week, we are planning on talking about a book that is right in front of me in my podcasting closet, which is The Satan Seller by Mike Warnke. Oh, God, this is going to be fantastic. This is going to be another like one of our big, crazy conspiracy theory episodes. If you liked our episodes about John Todd or Bob Larson um, or the satanic panic, this is going to be right up your alley. It's going to be a ton of fun. Uh, so make sure that you tune into that one. This is going to be just truly wild. We're planning. Yeah, we're planning some extensive um, Jack Chick and Satanism related episodes in the late summer, early fall. And this is kind of a setup for that. This Mike Warnke is the guy who john todd said ripped off his story and then mike warnke was like no actually john todd ripped off my story and they had a whole fundy fight about it it's that guy and now he's a christian comedian that's man yeah it's it's nuts anyway if you like our show if you're a fan of our show subscribe to our patreon for the extended version of today's episode it's going to be very extended because it's like 1 a.m here in Philadelphia when we're recording this and I said some truly wild stuff because I was so tired you can join our Facebook group which is facebook.com slash groups slash Eden Exodus you can join our subreddit reddit.com slash r slash Eden Exodus follow us on Facebook and Instagram and TikTok at Leaving Eden Podcast and on Twitter at Leaving Eden Pod Sadie yes socials yeah, you can follow me on Instagram at Sadie Carpenter Music, on Twitter at Hell Yes Sadie, and on TikTok at Sadie Carpenter One. And you can follow me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at G A V R I E L H A C O H E N. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. You guys have a great day. Bye bye. Change my
Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com.